the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. Usually, when I, uh, it's not often you see me, when I give the sermon, have a note card. Notes today. The reason I have notes today is because something very important. Very important. Not that every week is important, but every week is important. But this week, very important. Okay. Um, and what I wanted to share this week is first I want to throw out a, a dilemma that we are faced with. Okay, We as uh, members of the church and members of this country are faced with a dilemma today, this particular week. And the reason why is because, as you just heard right now, the gospel that was read to us was all about the apostles. And the reason why is because this coming Tuesday, after two days, we celebrate the Feast of the Apostles. And the Feast of the Apostles is a joyous occasion. It's the conclusion of the Fast of the Apostles, in case you didn't know. <laughs> in case you didn't know about the beginning of the fast, but the end of the fast, okay? It's the conclusion of a period of fasting, and it's a celebration. That's why today is like the Sunday before. So the Sunday before the Fast of the Apostles, the readings are very much about the Apostles and the joy and, the, and celebrating the Apostles, and it's a feast. So on one hand... We have a great feast right here, and we're preparing to celebrate. On the other hand, is that we had a rough week this past week, if you remember this country. And we were reminded of it as we walked in today, but I don't know if you noticed the flag outside here at Mason was still at the half-mast. And it seemed like a long time ago, but it was actually only seven days ago, that we got it together, and we had 4th of July, and we barbecued, and America the beautiful, and America the great. And it seems like a lot has happened in that past week, and this is one of the roughest weeks in the history of our country. You all know what happened. I need to tell you what happened. So here's the dilemma that we have. Here's the dilemma. Help me out here with this dilemma. We have in one world here, the church world, joy, celebration, rejoicing, feast. We have in another world, the world we live in Monday through Saturday, we have mourning, we have confusion, we have pain. Are these two worlds separate? In our minds, oftentimes, they aren't. And sometimes that's maybe how we kind of grew up thinking that church is supposed to be. It's kind of like you have the world over here and the world is whatever. Shut the world off, go to church, and praise, and thank you, God, and we worship you, and you're the best, and life is celebration, and it has nothing actually to do with reality because reality is, is, is miserable over here. So we kind of have joy over here, and then on Sunday afternoon, we kind of close the door to this, lock it up, and we go back to this difficult world over here, and we live in this world, and then on Sunday, we lock this up, and we go over here. Is that how we're supposed to live? That the world and the church are two completely separate things? Or, what I want to believe, and I hope you want to believe as well, that the church speaks into the world, and there's no disunity between them at all. And I want to believe that when I come to church on Sunday, after a rough week in our country where we see stuff that we've never seen before, I want to believe that the readings today, that the message today, that the liturgy today, that the feast that we're celebrating, preparing to celebrate, is 100% directly correlated and 100% God's answer to what's happening in the world. I don't want to believe that the two are separate things and that the church is in one world and God is in another, and the world is over here in another world. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that the two are the same. And actually, that's exactly the importance of our orthodox theology and understanding about who Christ is. Okay, so bear with me for one minute here because this is super important. Because sometimes we wonder why do some things, things that we talked about in the membership group, things that we say in the creed, 
Why does that stuff even matter? We talked about Christ as fully God and fully man. Okay, he was 100% God and 100% man. Why does that matter? That matters for exactly this point. And if you don't believe God is 100% God, or Christ is 100% God, 100% man, then this makes all the difference in the world. Because he's 100% God and he's 100% man. If he was 100% God and he was not man, then that would be the example that I gave in the beginning. That Christ is kind of in his own world over here, and he's living and saying, worship me. And then we say, but life is tough. He says, don't worry about that. Just worry about stuff over here. And we say, life, don't worry about that, because I'm God, and I just want you to be God. And when we deny the humanity of Christ, if Christ, we deny his humanity, then we create this isolated world over here where it's just God and do nothing else outside. The opposite is also true. If we say Christ was fully human and not fully God, then we say, okay, Christ is with us in this. But who cares? Because he's no different than, than a newscaster or a news reporter or someone with wishful thinking. If Christ was not 100% God and 100% man, then we'd have, we have this, this, this dilemma. But because he was God and man together, then that means what? So one of the things that we say during this apostles' uh, fast, there's a hymn that we say after communion. It says, uh, the hymn of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he ascended to the heavens and sent us the Holy Spirit. And one of the verses in there, which is something that you hear a lot in our church, is he made the two into one. That is the heaven and the earth. You hear that expression a lot in our in our hymns and things like that. He made the two into one. What's he made the two into one mean? He made the two into one. What does that mean? What that means is, is he made Godhead, divinity, and manness, humanity, into one. And in him, the two were united because he stood... And he held hands here, and he held hands here, and he brought them together. So now for us, we don't believe that there is a distinction between the two. And that's why we also say in the church hymn, something else. We say, uh, holy, 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 O Lord of hosts, heaven is full of your holy glory. Is that what we say? Heaven and earth. So because of Christ, then earth is just as much as full of his glory as heaven. Because he was fully God and fully man. That's why when I finish, we're going to say the creed, and we say, only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, 100% God. But he was incarnated as the Virgin Mary and became man. Because that truth is the most important truth for us, because that means that no matter what it is that we go through, we're not isolating it from God. That the events of this world, that God is 100% in the events of this world. And we don't need to isolate them and say, yeah, we'd be miserable, and yeah, we're sad. But just put that on hold, come and sing a few hymns to God, and then go back to your miserable world. That's not how it is. Because he made the two into one. And I believe that in the midst of this difficult time, and in the midst of all that's happening, I want to come to church to say today and say that the Lord is speaking directly into that world. Directly into that world. He is speaking, and he is comforting, and he is guiding, and he is giving us a message directly into that world. And I hope you believe the same thing. So what is he speaking into that world? What is he saying? This was a tough week. This was a tough week. How does God respond to this tough week? What does he tell us? I told you we now celebrate today with Today, the readings, all one key word was mentioned in every reading, and I already told you that we are in, currently in the fast of this, and we are about to celebrate the feast of this. And that word is apostle. Today is the Sunday of apostleship. Today is where St. Paul said, am I not an apostle? 
and he said, I am an apostle. And he proved his apostleship. St. Peter said, I am elect, sending to you the elect as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we read in Acts about the apostles, and then the whole reading of, of Luke chapter 10 was about Jesus sending the apostles. So I believe that in the midst of this world, this difficult world, God is not far. God is 100% in it. And God is saying that I know, and I'm here, and I'm aware, and the answer is apostles. That's the answer. Why? What is an apostle's job description? If you were paying attention to the readings today, to the, the gospel, it was Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 20. Jesus gave his apostles lots of instructions. Lots of instructions. But one commandment. One instruction is, this is your job description. He told them many things. Make sure you do this and make sure you don't do this. But your mission is one mission. Does anyone know what that one mission is? Practice the gospel as a teacher. Okay, that is a, okay, that's true. But that's not what he said. He gave them one direct command. Actually, it was two, but it's really the same. Very good shit. What did he say? Heal the sick. Heal the sick. And? What's the second half of that? And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he said, I'll just summarize right here. He said, the harvest is great. Labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send out labors and harvest. Basically saying, there's a great mission right here. They say, okay. We're the apostles. We're gathered around him. And he's saying, guys, I have a mission for you. And he's saying, it's going to be a great mission. God's going to work. Okay. He says, go your way. Don't carry this or don't carry that. Okay. He said, when you go, you're going to stay in certain places. When you enter a house, this is what you do. Okay. These are all peripheral things. And remain in that house. Eat whatever they give you, no matter what it tastes like. Just eat it. Okay. So this is, this is what he tells us right here. And then when you get to that city, heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he goes on and says, if they don't listen to you, wipe the dust off. And it's going to be bad for that city. He gave them one instruction. Your job as an apostle is to do what? Heal the sick. Okay, let's hold that thought right there. Last night, Gospel of Vespers. Anyone know where it came from? That was Luke 10. Last night we read Luke 9. Luke 9 is when he sent out the 12. Luke 10 is when he sent out the 70. Okay, so Luke 9 sending the 12. Luke 10 sending the 70. The 70, I just told you, their job description was heal the sick and say to them the kingdom of God has come near to you. How about the 12? What was their job description? Luke chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority, power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Their job description was what? To heal the sick. We are an apostolic church, right? We love to say we're an apostolic church. And we love to say... We are built on the foundation of the apostles. That's actually what the series we're doing now is we are built on the foundation of the apostles. What does it mean to be an apostolic church? Does it mean to, does it mean like a museum? Like come to church on Sunday and you'll see pictures of the apostles. Okay, we're talking about our great heritage and the apostles. It doesn't mean that stuff. What it means is that we are apostles. And all of us are sent as apostles. And I tell you that your job description as an apostle is to heal the sick. Funny story. First ordained as a priest, we have the, the the sacramental prayer of unction, okay, which is like the anointing of the sick. So I was first ordained as a priest. I was probably a priest a couple months, and someone asked me to older gentleman asked me to pray the unction prayer. So I said, okay, sure, no problem. This is someone who I looked up to and respected, kind of like a mentor for me. He's no longer with us anymore, but someone who like I was excited. 
okay, because this is someone I really looked up to, and he asked me, and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do this. So I, I get my, my unction notes out, okay, because yeah, I've never done this before. Yeah, 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 I get my notes, and I'm going to do this in the oil and light the candle and left foot first, right foot, and like, get all my notes ready, okay? And I get out there, and I got my kit, and I got my oil, and I got my candles, and I got my stuff, and I'm going to just knock this unction out of the park. Like, I'm going I'm to nail this unction here. So I got my stuff, okay, and I do my unction, and I'm, and I'm doing it great, and I'm following the notes, and I'm like, I'm nailing this one. Like, this is, this is fantastic. Best unction ever is what I wanted to say after this. Like, I wanted to, like, boom. We finished the prayer. We sit down and have lunch. And he used to always, like, uh, ask me questions and jab me a little bit. So he said, uh, why did you do this unction prayer? I said, what do you mean, why did I do the prayer? He said, why did you do the unction prayer? I said, because you asked me to do the unction prayer. He said, no. Why do we do an unction prayer? Why does the priest do the unction prayer? So I, boom, priest, okay, I said, because the scriptures command us to pray for the sick. He said, wrong. <laughs> what do you mean wrong? He said, Jesus never commanded people to pray for the sick. He commanded people to heal the sick. So I started looking back at my notes. And I, don't, I don't know if that's in here anywhere. But I know how to pray, but I'm not. And he was right. Jesus didn't say, go to the cities and pray for all the sick people. And He said, you go to the city, and you see a sick person. And what do you do? You heal them. And what did the apostles do uh, with this command? What did we read about in the book of Acts today? Say it was Acts chapter 5. It said that St. Peter was walking around town. And as St. Peter was walking around town, what happened? Sorry. Yeah, let me get the exact verse right here. It said, uh, so that they brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. Circle unclean spirits. We'll come back to that. And they were all healed. And we're going to say in a minute when we get to the fraction prayer, okay, we're going to say that the shadow of the one who's healing the sick, that's St. Peter and St. Paul, the handkerchiefs and aprons of him was casting out demons. Jesus commanded them to heal the sick, and they healed the sick. world sick today? Absolutely. Who's going to heal it? Who's going to heal it? God should heal it. God's like, okay. I will. But here's how I heal. God, think of God as like a uh, uh, I hate to use this analogy because it's a silly analogy, but just forgive me if it's a silly analogy. It's kind of like Yoda. In the sense that he knows all, and he has all. But then the way that he heals, is he brings, he trains, he sends. He brings, he trains, he sends. He himself is doing the healing, because as we know, we know that, that when we are sent, we're not sent alone. That's what he said. He sent them before his face, where he himself is about to go. Because he's inside of us. That's why we receive communion every Sunday. That he himself is inside of us. That's why when people ask, you know how the script, the, the Bible, is it 12 disciples or 12 apostles? Yeah, you know this question? Is it 12 disciples or 12 apostles? Which one is it? 12, 12 disciples or 12 apostles? It's both. It's both. When I went to Catholic school, they used to always say 12 apostles. Here, when I grew up in Sunday school in the Orthodox Church, we used to say 12 disciples. They used to bug me. Well, if you look in the New Testament, what does it say? Sometimes it says the 12 apostles. Sometimes it says the 12 disciples. 
Sometimes it says the 12 apostles and disciples. Just to really confuse us. But it's not. It's the same. There's no difference. Because a disciple is one who comes. An apostle is one who goes. And this is the ministry of Christ. Is to make a disciple into an apostle. Come follow me. Go and preach the gospel. Come and believe. Come and follow. Come and see. And then go and preach. Go and make disciples. Go and heal. So the two are the same. So we as his disciples are also his apostles. And we are sent into the world to bring healing into the world. How we bring healing into the world. Is the part that, follow me on this one, follow me on this one. I get away from the reading a little bit, but I speak my heart. How we heal the world. Not we heal the world. We don't heal. The gospel heals. Okay, that, that's why I said, heal the sick, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to them. It's not we that heal. It's the gospel that heals. It's the message that heals. It's what we're preaching that heals. I don't heal anybody. But what I tell them is, there is healing, and it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you know him, and you find communion with him, and you have oneness with him, you will be healed. Because inside all of us, there is a void. There is death inside of us. He is the life. So that's why, if you are separated from life, you cannot be healthy. Logic. If you're separated from life, you're dead. Logic. So I'm not healing anybody. All I'm doing is pointing the way to the healing. How does the gospel bring healing? Specifically, for what we saw this past week, how does the gospel bring healing into this world? How does the gospel, in my opinion, solve every problem that this world is facing, specifically we saw this past week? When you have individuals taking the life of other individuals for no reason, follow me here on this gospel preaches the sanctity and the importance and the value of every single human being as a child of God. You want to know the root of every atrocity in mankind's history. Every atrocity begins with taking a person and, not, and removing him as a person and making him a group. Hitler didn't kill people in his mind. Hitler was able to kill so many people and convince this whole nation to kill all these people. When all those people, like I was actually just reading this article, there was a guy who died not too long ago who was a historian. I can't remember what his name was. Ely something or other. And he wrote a lot about Hitler. And he wrote a beautiful article that was saying about how did Hitler, Hitler may have been crazy, but all these other people weren't crazy. How did he convince them? Because he took away identity of people and he made them the Jews. And you're not killing a person with a name. You're killing a group of Jews. And every atrocity was committed because they weren't people. They were a group. They were classified. They were generalized. Slavery, because they're not individuals. They're not people. What they are is a group of people. They're just a group. Okay? And anytime we people as a group, why are wars, the war, uh, the uh, religious wars? You don't have people shooting people. You have Catholics on this side. Protestants on this side. And that's a Catholic, that's a Protestant. As soon as we identify people as groups, as classes, as classifications or something like that, we lose the ability to be healthy. And that's where the gospel preaches to us. The gospel preaches and doesn't say that a black motorist was killed. The gospel tells us that a man that wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up, Alton Sterling was killed. Not a black motorist. Alton Sterling was killed. And Alton Sterling had a family. 
and he had a mom and he had a dad. And I don't know if he had a brother, a sister, a wife and kids. I don't know what he had. But a man who was made in the image of God, a priceless image of God, who Christ shed his blood for, was king. And not just him, but another man named Philando Castillo. Don't just say someone who was ra- a random guy pulled over, or a suspect. He's not a suspect. He's a man, and he has a name. And he has the image of God built into him. And his life was taken away by someone who didn't see that. A man named Patrick Zamaripa, sorry for not pronouncing that right, was one of the officers in Dallas. Don't tell me five police officers were shot. Not, not police officers, not those cops, not those whatever. A man with a wife and with children and a future and a, God had a plan for his life. And his life was taken away by someone who couldn't see him as a person. Who couldn't see him as a person made in the image of God. Who just saw him as a group of people. Yeah, one of those. The gospel speaks directly to that. It says no such thing as those. There's only people with names. And when you put someone with a name, and you look that person in the eye and say, God made this person. It is not my right to take this person's life. That's when we find out. What was the first crime committed in this world after the fall? murder. When Cain took the life of Abel. When Cain took the life of Abel. I don't know if you remember. What did God say to Cain? What did God say about the blood of Abel? The blood of Abel cries out to me in the dark. God said his blood is precious. Because he's mine. I created him. I had a plan for him. I had a future for him. You know all those nice verses that we say about ourselves? A future, a hope, a plan, to prosper, God's will. All these great things we say for us. Well, I'm telling you that all these people, God had a plan for them too. And no one has the right to take that away. The gospel preaches the value of an individual person as a child of God, as the most precious person on this planet. And until people see that gospel, people will continue to take lives. They continue to be ISIS in the Middle East. Not taking the lives of people, taking the lives of a group, the Christians over there. They continue to beat civil rights issues and racism and bigotry and all that stuff because people are put into classes. There's no classes. There's no classes. There's no black. There's no white. There's no Jewish-American, Mexican-American, African-American. There's none of that stuff. I don't even want to say it's American. It's children of God. There's no groups. There's no such thing as groups in God's eyes. And that's what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches us that every single one was made in the image of God and priceless, the most valuable creation which the angels up in heaven look at us and envy us. Actually, that was in the Catholic epistle. That we have things that the angels look at us and say, wow, these guys were made in the image of God. Who has the right to take away that image? You see why the world needs healing? See why the world needs apostles? That's what I'm saying, is in this world, for those who walk in late, this world, God speaks directly into that world and says, I know. And that's why I preach you to heal. Or I sent you to, to heal. Acts of the Apostles, last verse, then I'll let you go. Well, not go, but we'll continue. <laughs> Acts of the Apostles. St. Peter was in prison for preaching, for healing. At night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, what did the angel say to him? Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go. Stand in the temple. Temples, wherever it is that you're from. Speak to the people all the words of this life. And that's what they did. 
And they ended up back in prison pretty soon. And then they got out of prison. They went out there and spoke words of this life. Not this life. This life. Not this life. This life. Go and speak to the people. Speak to them the words of this life. Go and send. Go, I, I send you to go out into this world. And I don't send you alone. And I don't say, okay, ready, set, go, and then come back when you're done. I'm going with you. And you know what? I've already been there. And I've already laid the path. We're going to go together. What we are going to do is we are one by one. Because we agree we don't believe in groups and classifications. We're one by one. We're going to find one person. We're not going to heal the whole world. We're going to find one person. We're going to try to help this person, person find you. We're going to try to connect them to this life. Okay? And then that person, this is what I will say. Okay? Forgive me. I'm not trying to exaggerate. I know it's exaggeration. But forgive me, but it could be true. But you never know when you invite someone to church. You never know when you pray for someone. You never know. You never know that the person that you invited to church okay, will end up inviting a person to church. We'll end up inviting a person to church. We'll end up inviting a person to church who was planning on going on top of a building with a, with a machine gun and shooting innocent people in the street. You never know. I'm not saying your co-worker's a maniac and they'll start shooting people. But I'm saying your co-worker may invite a friend who invites his cousin, who invites his uncle, who may have been a guy Our job is to do our job. Our job is to know that God is not apart from us in this world. God is not separate. God speaks directly into this situation. I promise you, He speaks into it. And I promise you, when God knew, God knew, and God knew, and God, He knew. And now it's our job to find the healing and then to go out and be healed. Today you graduate medical school. Today you graduate medical Try to heal as many people as we can. In whatever way. Glory be to God.